think it really brought us thinking that what can we do in Texas to address these issues. Clearly, you know, we've fallen behind in treating those who are mentally ill and providing services that they desperately need. And I just think sometimes it's an issue that everyone can understand. People want to be more informed about the issue. And uh, we had really good leadership. I served with Senator Nelson, who's the, who was the chair of Health and Human Services. She made it a top priority, and many of us followed her and made it our priority and resulted in, in good things happening in Texas. I think a, a $250 million boost to mental health funding. Uh, much of that money, Commissioner Lakey, your agency uh, has handled. What in the year more have you seen as far as the results of that money? I think that money made a tremendous difference over the last year. It, we, you know, going into the session, we had over 5,300 adults on the waiting list. Uh, we're now down to less than 300 individuals. Uh, we had over 196 children on the waiting list. That number now is six. Uh, and so we've been, been able to totally address the waiting list. We've also been able to improve substance abuse treatment across the state of Texas. I think that's a huge issue. Uh, substance abuse is a huge driver of, of many of the problems we see in the state of Texas. Uh, we've been able to reach out to communities. One of the, the, the challenges is the stigma related to, to mental illness, and we want to destigmatize that. And, and so we've been able to uh, reach out across the state of Texas, put on forums related to um, it's called Speak Your Mind, looking at adolescents and, and trying to address them to, to be able to talk about these issues and help them access the this, this system uh, throughout the, the state of Texas. We've been able to address homelessness. You, know, you can tell somebody that's mentally ill, that's living on the street, you need to take your medicines, but he, if he's living on the street, uh, that's a hard message. And so we've been able to address homelessness, get some of the individuals into home, uh, housing options, uh, we've been able to work with jails, uh, with jail diversion programs, and so there really has been a, a number of programs that are having a significant impact over this last year, and will continue to have that impact to address mental health and substance abuse challenges in Texas. You mentioned diversion programs. I'll go to Sheriff Garcia. Uh, you have had a lot of success in pioneering many of those type diversion programs just to, for instance, well, diversion programs and your CERT teams. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you have going down there as far as these two-person teams. Well, thank you, first of all, and thank you to the Tribune for the leadership that you're offering in creating this dialogue. I think it's extremely important for all of Texas to understand uh, what can be done and what is being done. Uh, but to that end, on the crisis intervention response teams, there's been a very good conversation in terms of understanding that uh, people who are mentally ill, uh, who are in jail, are in jail because they're sick, not because they're bad people. Uh, and so understanding uh, that issue, uh, we developed uh, a partnership with the, the uh, MHMRA, developing uh, strategic teams uh, with deputies and clinicians to uh, get folks placed into treatment services instead of arresting them, giving them a cr criminal history, and then bringing them into the county jail and consuming uh, extremely valuable resources. Since we launched our program, we have uh, jail diverted uh, 722 individuals in, a, in a, almost a three-year period. We've been able to place uh, emergency uh, uh, detention orders, but not in jail, for about 2,000 uh, individuals. And so it, it, it really is demonstrating that we're moving in the right direction, but more needs to be done. You speak to those community partnerships, and uh, Mr. Luce, the money uh, allocated as part of that boost uh, last year, I think it was $25 million, would go to finance grants to local mental health authorities. You're big at incentivizing, uh, you know, counties to fund outcomes. Talk a little bit about that. Well, and I think, you know, that's really where we are as a state, thanks to the work that was done last session. You know, we've, we've addressed waiting lists. We've addressed emergencies. I think it's now time to raise our vision higher and say Texas really could lead the country in terms of addressing this overall mental health challenge that we have. And for a change, you know, nobody's doing this perfectly across the country. And Texas really could be a leader. Mm -hmm. And I think the thrust of that is we now need to move into early intervention, prevention. That's right. Counties yeah. need to move right. to where we're not operating on an emergency room basis. Exactly right, right now, if there's an emergency, you shoot somebody, you get arrested, you show up in the emergency room, we're going to get you some help. That doesn't make 
sense economically. It doesn't make sense for the person. We need to move to a higher vision which says we need a true integrated health care system mm -hmm. that deals with prevention and early treatment. And that's what I hope we can incentivize counties to do. And you have to do it at the local level because this is a diverse state. It's a different state. Problems are different in Houston and in the rural areas. But we need to, to get funding that allows innovation and incentivizes people towards prevention and treatment. But this can be done. And we just did a large state, statewide poll. I, you know, I'm not so sure that we have to worry as much anymore about awareness. We found 67% of the uh, Texas population was willing to say, I have a friend, coworker, or family member that has a mental health challenge. Now, that's, you know, the younger generation isn't ashamed to say, <laughs> well, Joe's got a problem. We need to get him some help, but we need to get him the help earlier. When you talk about that, and uh, the sheriff has had much success, and just recently, Travis State Jail uh, launched the first veteran dorm where services in the community that these inmates will need to seek after, upon release, are introduced while they're still behind bars. 24 vets were pinpointed in the system and are all housed in the same dorm. Uh, Tony, talk a little bit about that as far as what that brings. Uh, Commissioner Lakey mentioned substance abuse, and all the gentlemen I spoke to when I was at that jail a few weeks ago all were in for substance abuse, self-medicating uh, their problems. Absolutely. That, that's uh, more on the latter end of the spectrum of, all right, these veterans are now uh, incarcerated. They're getting ready to reintegrate back into society. Let's prepare them to... Uh, to reduce recidivism and get them uh, with a support system and a plan in place to start uh, a successful transition out of the jail. But those special programs with the TDCJ, working with Health and Human Services and the Military Veteran Peer Network, what you're getting is you're getting peers, veterans who have been trained in several mental health trainings uh, that really are able to go in there, relate to these veterans, and let them know that there's resources, there's care, there's hope, um, and that you too can, you don't have to repeat this uh, constant, I'm, I'm in and out of the system, the frequent flyers. Mm -hmm. And so with these kind of special programs out there, um, on one end, that's going out to the reintegration, but on the other end, like Tom said, the prevention and early detection, uh, you're able to go out there with peers um, and, and the increased appropriation of funding to expand mental health services for veterans with House Bill 2392 is able to do that for us. And so now we've got um, 40 veteran volunteer coordinators out there through the state that are able to just uh, work in the jails, uh, prevent guys working uh, in the specialty treatment courts from uh, getting back into substance abuse issues and being able to be, uh, be the role models and the gatekeepers for that, really empowering. Show that they came out of it if they were ever in that position. Exactly. And, you know, the fact that we have veterans facing these issues is finally allowing people to say, you know, mental health is not just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you've got a character problem. You can't look him in the eye and say, you've come back from Iraq and you're just a sissy, you know, get with the program. I mean, that, that's, that's not what we're dealing with. And so I think we have finally understood this is a medical issue. And I think the state's ready to embrace that. And I think we really can be a leader in Texas. Sheriff Garcia, you're a firm believer in specialty courts. We're talking about the veteran population as a segment of the inmate population. Uh, is that something you'd like to see continued, and is it a, a state's role as far as allocating the resources to further that? Without a doubt. And I, <clears throat> I, think, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think when you get back to the, where you started with, and that is that we're looking for outcomes. Uh, the courts are an integral part of that outcome momentum. Uh, if we don't have the courts in, in a, as a part of that process, uh, then uh, you, we're going to have uh, members of, of the judiciary who may not really understand and appreciate uh, all of the work that goes into preparing these individuals to, uh, to have a successful uh, transition back out into the community with the right conditions, the right treatment, the right services. So I think they're an extremely vital uh, part of the overall formula. And so I would advocate for more of it. I regularly attend, whether it's drug court or whether it's sober court, I regularly attend those graduations because uh, people got to see that uh, the folk, uh, the person and persons who are uh, the keepers of the jail population uh, recognize that uh, there are many people in our facility who don't need to be there. Uh, and, uh, and if we're not out there 
uh, walking the walk, I think uh, we're, we're missing an opportunity. And your state senator, Senator Huffman, recognized that in last session you passed the jail diversion program. <coughs> that is in the very early stages. Yes. What is the makeup of that program? Well, it, um, it, it, let me just say what, what follow up with what uh, Sheriff Garcia is saying. The judges in, in Harris County are so excited about the things that we're doing in mental health and this jail diversion pilot. They have asked when can they send people. You know, they're very excited about participating in this. So that, I think that's a very good sign that we have buy-in from the judges who sentence individuals. The pilot project is we, we're targeting initially people who have cycled at least three times through Sheriff Garcia's hotel there at the Harris <laughs> County Jail. And kind of looking at about the 18 to 35-year-old group, that doesn't mean they take people outside of that. But the goal is to get these individuals either as they're exiting the jail or before they go into the jail. So they're coming from emergency rooms, from treatment centers, from veterans courts, from specialty courts, from wherever they can find them. And the real key is as they exit, either from jail or if they're prevented from going to jail, then somebody, they have a caseworker who helps them navigate life. So helps them find a place to live, helps them get, if they're Medicaid eligible, get their Medicaid or make sure they stay on their medicine, find a job if that's appropriate for them. Just all the things that we take for granted that we can do for ourselves. Some of these folks are so mentally disturbed or have issues that they can't do it. And, um, and I think that it's a, it'll be a wonderful program, especially if we can expand it. But, um, you know, the biggest challenge so far is housing, and that is a big issue, and navigating the federal and state rec uh, regulations. Feds sometimes have different than the state, and it takes um, someone very knowledgeable to navigate that. And clearly, these are not individuals that could have navigated this on their own. It would be hard for anyone to navigate. So um, we're very hopeful that the project will be a success, and uh, we're off to a great start. And, you know, one of the things like dealing with regulations right now, if you're in jail you're and you're on Medicaid, it's terminated. That's right. <laughs> right, right. And that doesn't make any days. sense. Yeah. We, we right. need to suspend. We could, quote, suspend your involvement on Medicaid. But that's when you need the medical care. That's right. And so, you know, what we've got to do is look at this where, where we're working towards an integrated health care system. And we can't any longer say quote, if you have a physical problem, go over here. If you have a mental problem, go over here. You have to deal with medicine to the whole person. And hospitals are going to start facing, whether it's Obamacare or Medicare or private insurance companies, are saying, we're not going to let you readmit a patient without a financial penalty. Well, guess what? Those emergency room patients are going to come back if we're not dealing with the underlying mental health problem that may exist with the diabetes or heart failure. So we can, we re now need to get this discussion at a higher level on how to deal with this in the future, thanks to the work that was done last session. I mean, we couldn't be talking about this now if we hadn't taken care of the emergencies, but now it's time to move further. And, and to add to that, just as an example, uh, look, the cost involved is extremely, extremely uh, uh, onerous on the local uh, communities. Yeah. I have, I've directed my staff that as a part of the discharging process, start to re-enroll them in Medicaid. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you're going to do all this great work in the county jail. Then you're going to send them out to the community with no ability to continue uh, that, that care and just end up back in the emergency room or end up back in jail. And we need to look at total cost uh, not just how much state funds go, but we need to look at county funds, city funds, you know, we're, hospital district funds. You know, you may think you're not paying for something, but your hospital district tax are going up, believe me. They are. Yeah. And so we need to look at this as an economic issue and, and look at the total cost to the taxpayers to make it efficient. And, of course, if they're not going to jail and, and these diversion problem programs, rather, are successful, they have to go somewhere. And, Commissioner sure. Lakey, I, I know we discussed capacity issues, and there you're working on a 10-year plan to address conditions, locations, and that capacity. Uh, what is the situation as far as that? I think this is going to be one of the most important things this legislative session for, for mental health. Uh, we, we've done a variety of things over the last several sessions. We've developed crisis services. We have mobile outreach teams. 
um, gel diversion, those type of programs that are decreasing the pressure on the, the front door, but there's still individuals that have to be hospitalized. Yeah, and that's why we asked for and we got a rider put on our budget to develop a 10-year plan related to the hospitals. As I told the legislature, I think the inpatient system was designed for where Texas was 70-plus years ago. You have these rural, expansive facilities. Uh, you know, they have 90 acres. They used to have capacity for 3,000 individuals, and now you have 300 individuals. Um, they're not conveniently located. So, so sheriffs are having to drive individuals hundreds of miles Hours, to get to, to, to these facilities. The, the buildings themselves are not designed for modern care. You have blind alleys and hallways. They're just not well designed. And the buildings are really, really old. Um, I have a picture that I show that has all, you know, all the, the state mental health hospitals, and there's historic placards on all these buildings because they were designed, I mean, they were built that far ago. Um, and, and so I, I think this is important that we, you know, figure out a better system. And, and I, I don't think a better system is just newer hospitals on those facilities. Uh, what I would like to see is people being able to get care in the communities in which they live. Uh, so that um, I would like it if one of my family members was ill, that they didn't have to go hundreds of miles, that I'd be able to, to see them, visit them. Uh, the pastor would be able to see, see them. Yeah, they'd have those wraparounds and services. And so uh, we are developing that 10-year plan. We have an exceptional <laughs> item uh, to buy beds in the communities. Uh, one of my challenges each session is I have to ask, you know, this session I'll be asking for close to $90 million to take care of roofs, heating and ventilation systems, uh, slabs of concrete, the, the depreciation on these facilities. And, and that's not really exciting to the, to the legislature to, to, to buy you know, th those type of uh, really essential things. And so last session, we asked for about the same. We got $30 million. The session before, we asked for dollars. We didn't get any dollars. And there's, those buildings uh, really are getting in. You know, the ones that we have individuals housed in are in OK shape. Not well designed, but okay shape. shape. Um, but we, but um, the other buildings are literally crumbling. Uh, and so um, we've been able to add capacity over the last several years by, by buying capacity in the communities, working with local mental health authorities, working with, with universities. Harris County Psychiatric Center bought additional beds from, from them. Uh, and we're able to do that for... Um, about the same operating costs that it takes us to, to run it. And, and so we'll be asking for additional beds plus additional steps for a 10-year plan. Uh, plus, um, you know, one of our challenges is, is we have individuals that are in the hospital that they, they don't have somebody that can speak for them and they can't make the decision, and so they're kind of stuck in the hospital. And so being able to get dollars to uh, kind of a guardianship-type program to get and we have at least 100 individuals, that that's a problem. And if we have somebody that can make those decisions, get them out and free up those beds so we can bring additional individuals in. But, but I, for, for us, now that we've built, we've taken care of the waiting list, we've taken care of, or we've improved crisis services, we'll be asking for additional crisis services, but this inpatient challenge will be one of our main issues this session. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony, as far as the veteran population goes, you have the VA which this year, you know, we learned wasn't giving adequate, quick, pardon me, adequate care to veterans. How, what are the gaps in services when it comes to mental health for the VA? So a big part of that is, um, well, there, there's several, but, um, you know, as we have a, for example, Harris County, we've got over uh, just about 300,000 veterans. So our, our VA over there is serving between 20 and 25,000 veterans. We've got outpatient clinics in Katie and Conroe, and then we also have uh, vet centers. But we've got veterans that are returning back to Houston, and uh, they're deciding, I'm not going to use VA services. And so they're either ignoring their care completely, or they're deciding to use their private insurance, whatever. But it's a, it's a matter of we've got to identify them, and this, this is at the DOD level as well, as they're transitioning out from active duty to the civilian world. Let's uh, engage them and let them know that Veterans Affairs and Veterans Administration is there for you. You are entitled to these benefits. You're entitled to this care. Um, another issue going along with that is just the scheduling. The VA uh, still is, uh, there's a shortage of mental health professionals that are there to serve veterans. So we're, we're supplementing that with peer-to-peer -peer outreach and, and training peers. But having veterans, uh, you know, uh, mental health crises typically don't happen between 9 and 5. So having, uh, you know, 
mental health professionals there in the evenings, on the weekends, and they're starting to do that and having uh, opening up their hours there. But it's you've, you've got to let veterans know um, exactly what's going on. And, and there's so many programs, so many organizations out there with the Veterans Crisis Line, uh, with peers, with the state. But it's, a, it's just there's so much stigma associated now with um, the care at the VA, even though there's so many uh, incredible providers and, and, and there, there's people, the, the change is going in the right direction there. So having veterans just understand that it's okay um, and being able to at the same time uh, educate them that just because you're getting treatment for PTSD or uh, uh, you know, if, let's screen for traumatic brain injuries, there's a lot going on. And so not just uh, on the mental health side but the physical side and, and so what we're trying to do is intervene as much as possible and use peers also as a public awareness uh, method and letting them know, uh, destigmatizing. It's okay. We can, we can sit down and have a coffee and talk about what's going on. And peers are kind of, you know, I view them as kind of your mental health first responders. We're gonna, a vet is going to talk to another vet um, organically just about what's going on in life with uh, work, home, all of that. And so if you have other veterans that have successfully transitioned, and have shared their stories and say, hey, I, w I was in your same shoes when I got out, or I lost my job, or I, lost, I, uh, I broke up with my significant other, and we don't have to suffer alone, and that there is hope out there. And, and so there's so many programs out there that do provide that. And um, just, just re-messaging that and add a communications uh, aspect to that. And here in Texas, we have the Texas Veterans App, which is uh, incredibly, uh, it, it's a new program, created to create awareness and connect veterans with the Texas Veterans Portal. There's a special tab for uh, female veterans to connect them with resources. At 24-7, you can get connected with a peer mentor just by pressing the center button. And then if you're in crisis, you can also be connected to the Veterans Crisis Line. But um, we, need, we need more funds to do that. Um, $5 million is, is, is just a, a drop in the bucket. And we need more because we're setting uh, the suicide rate for veterans is absolutely unacceptable, and we've got to put all our, all our resources there to uh, take care of our nation's finest treasure. But how much better is it that we're, if we could reach out early before the crisis when the veteran is just returning and we help at the beginning as opposed to at the end when the emergency has occurred? And the same thing, let, let, look at our foster care system and our children. I mean, right. we yeah. need right. to help early and it's high so much yeah, high school middle school yeah. Um, yeah. you know this isn't any different than we're finally understanding you have to deal with pre-k you have to make sure children read by the age of grade three we, we need to make sure that we are dealing with the situation before it becomes a crisis and that is possible there is research showing that early intervention works. And of course we have to take care of emergencies, but we're finally getting to the situation where we're dealing with those emergencies and the crisis teams and we need more beds and all that, but how much better would it be if we could prevent somebody from needing a bed someday or diverting somebody from jail someday? And that's the vision that I think we need to, and that won't happen overnight. Uh, and medical education's got to change. We've got to make sure the primary care doctor really doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I, uh, is there a mental health problem here? Is there, and what would I do? You know, we need to challenge our medical schools to say, are you educating your medical professionals to deal in an integrated health care system? So I, I hope we can raise the level of discussion. Along those lines, do you plan to make policy recommendations? Yes, you know, look, look at our state today, we, and we've got to do something. We have, I, this may not be the exact number, of 254 counties, 174 do not have a psychiatrist or a psychologist. That's right. I mean, uh, uh, stop and think about that. So what do we need in lieu of that? Do we need to expand to have a more network of social worker intervention? Again, helping uh, schools have help. You know, this boils down to if we want safe schools, if you want safe streets, if you want not, and it's not just safety, it's well-being of people, productiveness of people in our society, then we've got to deal with these issues early. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing a dear friend over there, Jane Cummins. There's a population that we haven't talked about, and I'm glad that uh, he touched on children, uh, because when we talk about mental health, we almost seem to inadvertently talk about the adult population right. in county jails. But we've got a whole other 
range of young people that we have to think about and care about and worry about. But also, the population of those with developmental disabilities. I mean, there's almost nothing out there for them. She struggles to get funding for the services she, she provides, and that's a population that gets exploited uh, and used and develop an extensive criminal histories uh, because they can be exploited so easily. Commissioner Lakey, you touched on the, the youth component with Speak Your Mind. What exactly is the, the makeup of that? I mean, you've reached thousands of children. We have. So, so uh, this came out of last legislative session, again, looking at the stigma, but also trying to reach kids to, to, to let them know that it's okay to, to reach out for, for care. And so it has many components. Uh, we actually went statewide, had 16 community forums, over 2,000 individuals, community leaders that they came to these forums. Uh, there's the uh, public awareness campaigns, media, that, that, that's part of it, but also driving individuals then to a website that, that gives them information uh, on, on, and it, it has a series of videos of, I think they're powerful videos of, of kids talking about how they've, how they've been challenged with, with mental illness, how they've worked through it, the hope related to, to that there was recovery, et cetera. And, uh, you know, that, that website now is getting about 5,000 hits a week. Uh, and so it's, it's gone up significantly. Uh, and so, uh, again, that's only a part of it. You know, that's only, you know, it's, you know, we need to do much, much more right. related to it. But it is a, um, a good first step in trying to address, you know, the, the stigma and, and trying to reach out to kids. And, Ed, when we were discussing creating, fun, giving funding for these issues, and, and, you know, the talk was, I remember sitting there, you know, we want to get to high school kids, but how do we do it? And there was, you know, controversy about whether you do it through the education system, through you do it through, you know, community groups, <coughs> you do an outreach program like this, and I think we are struggled then and we're still struggling about how to do this best and I think Tom is right we have to raise the discussion and I see so many different groups doing wonderful things um, <clears throat> even as I look through the jail diversion project and then the, the critical intervention teams you know there's all these people that are really trying to put their arms around mental health and, and do better in Texas and I think we're going to have to continue to come together and coordinate our efforts. That, that is a little bit of a concern for me. I feel like we have a lot of people out there running around and spending money and trying to do good things, and everyone is doing good things, but if we could coordinate the efforts and bring that together, I think that's going to be a challenge for the legislature to have an important, a meaningful role in helping that to happen in our communities. And I hope we can provide, I hope we can be that independent third-party voice that says we have actually researched the outcomes of what happens with these various programs and come to the legislature and say, here's the data, let's incentivize people, don't mandate them, let's incentivize people to do more of the following type of program that's working. And I think that's what we, we have, when you deal with a statewide problem, you have to find practices that work and figure out how to scale them to impact millions of people because, it, you know, it's wonderful if you help a thousand people, but we're a state of, you know, millions and millions of people. So how do we set up a system that incentivizes to do more of what's working so that we show the public this problem can be attacked and there are solutions that work? Uh, and Mr. Luce, you sit on the Sunset Advisory Commission, which this year is reviewing DSHS. Um, what have you seen as far as mental health services that needs to be improved upon or just what they're doing? Well, you know, it's a huge system. First of all, the Health and Human Services as a whole agency is, what, 52,000 employees, and, and we spend billions of dollars. So we need to figure out how do we make the right information systems work so we have the right information and data for the legislature, for the people that run systems. And then again, I think we need to look at funding streams in terms of incentivizing things that work and giving more local control. We, you know, it, it's, it's just the way government works. But over time, you add a provision, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Those things build up. And so you need flexibility in the local community, but we need accountability for taxpayers. So how do we create the right degree of freedom 
incentivize the best practices, and that can be done if you focus on providing metrics for outcomes. And I think the department's moving that way, but we need to move more towards not process, not waiting list, but what's working so we can do more of what's working. Commissioner Leakey. No, I agree. I, I think we're better able to do that now, though, because we've been able to address some of those obvious issues related to funding in, in mental health. You know, we look at our, at our budget. Our agency's uh, budget has gone from about $2.5 billion to $3.2 billion. 67% of that goes into to mental health. Uh, so it's a lot of money, um, but there's a lot of need uh, out there. And so we were able to, to use the waiting list to, to quantify the, 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 the needs. We also were able to quantify the folks that weren't getting the level of services that they, they need. Uh, and you know, we, we've talked about the challenges on the inpatient system and by additional community beds, et cetera. Um, but I think data is really important. It helps you manage, uh, make sure that you are getting, you're incentivizing the outcomes that you want to achieve. One of the things we did this last session is that we got a rider to withhold about 10% of the dollars that went out to local mental health authorities, and we were able to use performance-based metrics to get those dollars back out to them so that you can incentivize the, 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 right, the right type of outcomes, the, the big outcomes. Do people end up in the jails? Do they end up in the hospitals? Are they homeless, et cetera? Uh, but I, I think sunset is going to be very important. Uh, I, I think the, you know, you know, and this is going to be one of the challenges during the, the session is that there's current needs that we're going to be trying to articulate that we need to get additional funding. At the same time, significant changes could occur within the whole enterprise about how everything is structured. Uh, I think there will be an ongoing need to to work with Medicaid. You know, one of the things that, that has been occurring is managed care throughout the, the state of Texas and using the managed care systems for delivery of mental health. Last, last session, there were significant parts of our agency that, that the funds were moved over to, uh, uh, to, to Medicaid. I think that's going to continue to be an issue. And then, uh, and the whole issue of integration, you know, that, that we really do kind of cut off the, the head from the rest of the body. And I remember when I was practicing in in East Texas, and it was really hard to get somebody to, to look at, you know, get a psychiatrist involved. Uh, the, the family practitioners felt uncomfortable with certain types of illnesses and, and trying to, to push that integration. And I think that'll be one of the things that Sunset's going to be looking at. Is there ways that they can structure the enterprise to get better integration than down at the consumer level? So uh, it's going to be a really important session. But I think that's the really important message to everybody to walk away from here is that instead we, we don't have to any longer bash ourselves about, you know, we're, we're failing miserably. What the challenge now is is how do we improve? How do we become the best in the country? Because people are becoming aware of this issue and they bought in. So now how do we, how do we talk about what our future should look like? And I think, thanks to the leadership of the senator and other people, Jane Nelson, my goodness, has fought for this a long time. But we now need to think about what system are we going to need in Texas in 2025, or pick a date. And I know that means we've got to take care of tomorrow's problems. But we need to start the discussion, what kind of a true health, integrated health care system do we need in this state? You know, I, I One moment, real quick. Sure. I'm just going to let you guys know we have about uh, five minutes till we start taking questions. So if you have a question for the panel, please line up at one of the two mics, and uh, we'll uh, begin taking those in a few minutes. Sheriff Garcia. And I, and I just wanted to echo a sense of urgency uh, to what um, uh, Tom and the Senator are, are saying, and, and, it, and respectfully to, to the Commissioner. The, the things that you're seeing, what we're doing at the sheriff's office. This is all, you know, our initiative, our, our leadership uh, to do something with what we know we have. Um, and the more, and, and I think that is based on anxiety at the local level, understanding, everybody's understanding what they're doing, whether it's Travis County, Harris County, Dallas County, wherever it may be, everybody understands that they've got a population, they've got challenges. We are all recognizing that... Uh, we don't need this to be worked and resolved at the county jail level. Uh, and so everybody's pushing and running. And I think that the sense of urgency is that we've got to get the state moving in an immediate direction now. Otherwise, you're going to have so many different initiatives statewide uh, that there's going to be an incredible challenge to corral that. 
and bring that into an in, uh, integrated and coordinated uh, uh, system. So I think there's an incredible sense of urgency that, uh, that our state leaders really need to pay attention to. And I would just add, I like to tell groups when I talk to them that the sheriff's right, there is a sense of urgency and we need to do something. And I like to say it's both the morally and the fiscally responsible thing to do. I mean, we need to take better care of the, of the mentally ill, but it also makes great sense from a fiscal perspective. Mm -hmm. So as a fiscal That's conservative, right. I promote that we take care of the system and get it going in the right direction, and it'll be better for everyone in the long run. Mm -hmm. As far as, uh, go ahead, Chair. No, I was just going to say on the, on the fiscal side, we've saved $112 million uh, during my administration in depopulating the county jail. The problem is, is that the population of the mentally ill still remains about 30%, irrespective of the county jail population. And so there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, Tony, you were nodding, uh, talking about integrating physical and mental health and, and that care. What are you seeing within the veteran population of that happening or, or lack thereof? It's, uh, it, it's there. Uh, we, we absolutely... Uh, what we're trying to do is reach out to veterans across all different spectrums. We know that we have special populations within the veterans. We have the LGBT community. We have female veterans that have their own issues. We've got veterans, uh, and here in Texas with over 1.6 million veterans, we've got the rural population, our major metropolitan hubs. So we're trying to reach out to veterans at the university level um, uh, in churches. We recently, we recently had in Houston an incredible faith-based summit. We just brought in all the different congregations in and, and Let's educate congregations and their leadership on how to reach out to veterans within their population. So all this innovative outreach uh, and working collaboratively with all federal, state, local agencies, law enforcement, um, just to try to find innovative ways to, to reach out to folks and with the specialty courts, it's, uh, it's much needed. Well, with that, we're seeing quite a line at the mics. We're going to go to questions, but let's first have a round of applause for our panel, please. We'll start here on the left, ma'am. And uh, we asked for questions just in the sake of time and respect to those behind you who also want their question heard. Please uh, keep it to questions and not speeches, if you will. My name is Antonia. Um, um, my question is um, in regards to insurance. Um, and I think I've heard um, a, a, um, a number that says that um, it's about $30 um, that goes to every Texas um, citizen. Um, is allocated for um, in regards to insurance. What do you think? Um, do you think the buy-in um, that insurance companies have been able to buy into the whole? Um, now the public is seeing more about mental health um, issues and events that are happening in regards to that. Do you think they're buying in as well? Um, and if not, what do you think the public is going to have to do in order to make sure that they're also um, seeing the importance of mental health issues? That's an issue we really hope to address. You know, the, the law right now is, is insurance companies are supposed to provide parity in terms of mental health services and physical health services, and that is not occurring in, in my judgment. Now, I want to make sure that we get the data to support that. But that's an issue. And that's, that's relatively good. new. Though, it right? is. It's Since relatively 2013, new. 2013, so I Absolutely. think we may it's have, going yeah. to take time. But I think the legislature is going to have to look at that issue. Yeah. And what does equity mean? I had a great example uh, in my own case. I had a stent put in six months ago. Medicare paid, paid for me to have 36 rehab sessions. If I'd had diagnosed with bipolar, Medicare wasn't going to pay for me to have 36 sessions to make sure I'm taking my medicine. That's not parity in terms of mental and physical health needs, and we're going to have to address that. What does that mean? So I think it's an issue down the road. Thank you. As, a, as an example, um, when I came into office, my employees, if they wanted to reach out uh, and get some, uh, some help, uh, they would have two free uh, visits uh, to uh, some uh, psychiatric services and then the rest is out of their pocket. Uh, we've gotten up to, I think, seven now, free visits, but it's, it's, we need more. Thank you for your question. Ma'am? 
Yes, I just want to thank the panel for all the work that they've done. Uh, Mr. Luce, thank you so much for identifying the importance of reducing stigma. I'm so happy to hear that young people are adopting that. So in that vein, I would like to share that I've lived with bipolar disorder for most of my life. My question is uh, for Dr. Lakey. Dr. Lakey, the federally qualified health centers, since we know from research that one-stop shopping can be so important to um, economically disadvantaged populations, are there plans to put mental health services within those clinics? And what, what would those services look like? No, I think that's a good, good question. And, and I think it goes to that bifurcation of healthcare. You have the FQHCs that have traditionally focused on physical health, and then you have the local mental health authorities that have focused on mental health. In some places, those places don't, don't, don't talk. I think uh, that there have been good examples of FQHCs um, hiring mental health professionals and taking care of um, the very common mental health issues that anyone going to a primary care uh, provider would, would see, so depression, you know, a, a variety of, of issues. I think you're seeing some innovation with the 1115 waiver. Uh, when we, when the, the 1115 waiver was, was developed, there was a significant chunk of those dollars, 10%, uh, that we set aside to go into mental health. And a lot of that is integration. And so you, you see a, a variety of programs taking place of trying to integrate at the local level uh, the local mental health authority and the FQHC or the hospitals related to, to, to mental health. And, and we'll start seeing that data. You know, it's relatively young, but we'll see more and more data related to those outcomes of, of those projects. But it, I think it is important that those, you know, they, they see in many ways the same individuals, but one sees physical health and one sees mental health. And I think there is a realization at the local level that, that we got to do better on both sides. And, you know, the other part of that is the local mental health authorities and how well are they taking care of the physical health issues. Um, you know, we, one of those facts that remains in my mind is, is that individuals with significant mental illness have a lifespan 29 years less than the general population. And, and it's, it's not because of suicide or mental health issues. It's because diabetes and heart attacks and a variety of physical issues. And so I think that's again, brings home the fact that we got to get better at integrating those systems. Thank you. Sir? Uh, yes, I know Lloyd Jacobson from uh, Houston, first of all. I know the sheriff's dealing with a lot of folks who are really uh, involved in crimes that never make headlines. But when something makes the headline, either in the state or nationally, we're always hearing the refrain, something has to be done about mental health. And yet, uh, by and large, I think we've had more discussion about putting gun more guns in schools and things like that. So I'm curious, what are we doing to prepare to be ready when, sadly, the next event comes, and instead of just being on the defensive about where did one particular case go wrong in the mental health system here in this state, what could we be doing to make things right? Um, are we preparing in that sort of way? Are we making those arguments to legislators? Are they listening even a little bit at this point? That's I'll tell you that the Texas Sheriff's Association is uh, unanimous uh, in making sure that we uh, keep mental health as one of our top-tier agenda, a legislative agenda uh, platform issues. And so you've got the sheriffs, and, and this is a good time to really go back to some, some things that have been said. Uh, as the sheriff of the largest county in uh, the state of Texas, third largest in America, I got my challenges, without a doubt. But I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be a sheriff anywhere else. Uh, because when you talk to my uh, colleagues in rural parts of, uh, of Texas, uh, Thomas said it well. They've got to drive miles, hours, uh, to get someone the proper care. That is unconscionable. We cannot allow that to continue to be. So you have law enforcement leaders. You also have police chiefs that are, are saying the same thing, that we need to do better uh, with uh, providing those individuals with the mental health care that they need. Uh, but overall, I think uh, I'm proud of Texas. Uh, we're having a very good bipartisan conversation. Uh, there's a needle that is moving. Uh, there are dollars that are being allocated. We need more. This, this is just a drop in the, in the, in the bucket. Uh, we need more. So I, I think by having law enforcement sit next to clinicians uh, and, and saying this, I think it, this helps uh, keep our communities safe. I think another thing coming out of the last session is that there was funding for <coughs> mental health first aid and, and trying to... First aid, did you say? Mental health first aid. Yeah. Uh, and, and trying to educate teachers and a variety of individuals on recognizing when a, 
a student, a child is having problems and knowing enough about the system to get them in. And so again, I, that's just being rolled out right, right now that educators across the state of Texas, we basically saturated that the national entity that trains trainers uh, coming out of the last, last session. So I think that will be very helpful. And I would just add, I think it's important what Sheriff, Gar Sheriff Garcia said, this is a completely bipartisan effort. Absolutely. When we, we work on this issue hand in hand, there's no talk about politics. It's, this is a problem, and by gosh, we're going to work on this together. And I think you should feel good about that as, as a Texan. And we found it on both sides there. I mean, there's total, yeah. this is yes. a bipartisan mm -hmm. issue. You got State Rep uh, Garnett Coleman over here who's been leading this uh, fight yeah. for many years. I actually was going to quote him because he said after the last session and the boost in funding that, you know, with the tragedy preceding the uh, session, it affected every parent, every grandparent, given the, uh, the victims' ages and whatnot. So yes. thank you for being here. Uh, Ma'am? Uh, my name's Jane. I'm from Houston also. And my question is closely related to the previous question. It's also for Sheriff Garcia. I was wondering, sir, if you could describe for us what kind of training police officers are given in dealing with crisis situations um, where a mentally challenged or mental health uh, you know, issue is part of the problem, and if there's any proposals for changes to the current training that we might be looking for. Uh, the state of Texas provides peace officers across the board with a requirement to, uh, to give their officers, um, uh, I think it's 16 hours minimum training. Uh, with our specialty units, for example, in the team that I have within the mental health unit, uh, those individuals get an inordinate number more hours of training uh, to deal with the population that we're, that we're uh, uh, working with in the county jail system. But with our crisis intervention response team, uh, those deputies are getting also uh, near the same level of training that our mental health unit deputies uh, are receiving. But I've also done something else. I did this when I was on council with the city of Houston, and I've done it as a sheriff. And that is that our call takers, the individuals basically the, the first point of contact with law enforcement, uh, that the call takers are also trained and that we've set up our protocols to understand when an emergency call is coming in. Uh, to understand that it, is, that it may be driven by a mental health crisis. Uh, that's important so that the responding deputy, whether someone who's got the minimal training or someone who's got all the training, understands what they're walking into and their frame of mind can already be strategic in the sense that we're dealing with someone who's in a crisis. But let me just also say uh, that we've got to uh, deprogram the community uh, to think that the best number to call is 911. Because anytime you put law enforcement in the middle of an interaction with someone who is in, in, in crisis, uh, there's a great possibility of something to go wrong. And I want to get law enforcement out of that middle, uh, out of the middle of that, and put our mental health professionals in the, in the front line. I see. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Ma'am? <coughs> I so applaud you, Sheriff, for what you're doing in Harris County. Uh, we look forward to seeing that happen in Travis. Uh, is there a plan? Um, well, two things here. One is because it is a federal responsibility to pay for the health care of veterans, and you mentioned that there's a stigma they don't want to go to the VA. Do we have a way of billing the VA for health care being provided at the state or local level? And is there a plan? that I'm hearing hinted at at selling Austin State Hospital property? So I'll speak to, um, so you said it's a federal responsibility. It's, uh, I disagree, it's also a yeah. community responsibility. And veterans are transitioning back to our uh, communities and the communities are taking care of them, whether they're using VA services or not. So in the, in the, in the long term, if that veteran becomes justice involved or if that veteran um, uh, has a crisis, it's uh, first responders, it's, it's our community it's our, it'll happen in a school, it'll happen anywhere, and we've got to take care of them as Texas in our communities. And so with that, um, I, I can't speak to the Austin Hospital, I have no idea what's, no, I what's know going on right the there. But, um, <laughs> for, for, but, but let me add, he is absolutely right. Look, we have a million five hundred thousand veterans who live in this state, and they could have served 40 years ago or four years ago. They are Texans. And we have a supplementary obligation to help people in our community. 
And so this is not, we can't just say, well, you know, the VA's fouling up. We have to also help our veterans. They're our neighbors. That's right. They're our co-workers. And I think I need to jump in related to Austin State State Hospital. Um, I think I would say um, a couple things. I think there's always people that are interested in that land. And there are people that will come up and say, why can't you do this? I think there's also challenges related to the design of the, the hospital. As I noted, for all of our hospitals, we have a problem that they're very old facilities. But there is not a, a plan right now to, to sell it. People will come in and talk to us and say, you could use this. You could serve people better if you do this or, or that, and we, we listened to those, but I don't have a, a, a secret plan. Um, okay. but let me be clear that I was not indicating that we should not treat our veterans. I'm saying that the, the funds that are limited that are available are not going to some of the people who need it because they're not veterans. Veterans, it's like uh, that's a magic word when you talk about stigma. Well, it's okay if you've got an illness and you're a veteran, but not if you're just a Joe Blow on the street. And let me also just say that uh, in relation to Travis County, uh, whatever my colleagues across the state of Texas need from me, uh, we have experts. We will put them on the road and go help. And there's, uh, we have good competition between Travis County and Harris County. We're beating them right now, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help them catch up. What's your ratio of SWAT responses? <laughs> oh, look, we just had our high-risk operation uh, unit deployed, and so we've deployed our team about 100 times already. We actually have time just for one more question. I apologize for those in line. Uh, sir? Hi, Ken Yonda from Houston also, but I will give a shout-out real quickly to Bear County is doing a lot of great stuff in San Antonio in, in this regard as well. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm with Community Health Choice, which is one of the Medicaid HMOs, and we actually really thank all of you guys for your uh, leadership in, uh, in bringing up the mental health issues. And we're really uh, encouraged about the integration that's going on between Medicaid uh, and other mental health things on for pregnant women and children that we do cover on Medicaid now. But you all talked about the need for integration of mental health services with physical health services. And for the adult population, where we have a million people who are in low-income status, uninsured right now, is there a way for us to get to a coverage model so that we can do a better job of integrating the funding for mental health and, and physical health services? Put Senator Hoffman a little bit on the spot since yeah, she's I'd on a committee so. that might have some jurisdiction well, over this. You know, I think clearly we'll be discussing these, these issues a lot next session. And, you know, the, the hope would be that someday, you know, Texas would have more flexibility on how, you know, we spent Medicaid dollars. And just like we did with the 1115 waiver, we've done wonderful things with that money. So, you know, I don't know if with the current administration we'll reach any kind of agreements like that on waivers, but, you know, if we get there and we could spend <coughs> Medicaid dollars through a block grant or something along those lines, then we could do much better to provide services to those in need, I think. Well, thank you all for your time. Another round of applause for our panelists, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks,